Buongiorno everybody and welcome! This is Identity Unlocked and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocci. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specifications and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by OfZero in partnership with the OpenID Foundation and ID Pro. In this episode, we are going to discuss SAML, one of the most successful protocols in the history of identity. SAML was once declared dead in a conference session 10 years ago by the recently passed identity giant, Craig Barton. What he meant with that controversial statement was that although SAML enjoyed, and still enjoys today, widespread adoption, the specification was done, hence future scenarios were going to be handled by something else. Ten years later, OpenID Connect did emerge as a more modern approach. SAML is still a huge source of business for so many companies in our industry. For this reason, I thought to invite some of the protagonists of SAML to put this fundamental piece of our industry in perspective. And to do that, I'm doing something that I've never done in the history of Identity Unlocked. I've invited three guests. Three. Not one, not two, but three. We have Pratish Mishra, Senior Director for Security Architecture at ADP. He was editor for SAML 1.0 and SAML 1.1 specifications. He was the co-chair of the OSIS SAML committee and the editor of the SAML 2.0 conformance specification. Then we have Paul Madsen, Head of Identity at HR Foundation, editor of the SAML Authentication Context Specification. And we have Johnny Brennan, President of DIAC, former technology expert group, senior program manager, Liberty Alliance, also known as Chief Cut Herder of SAML Software Engineers. Welcome, folks. Hello. Glad to be here. Are we protagonist or antagonist? Yeah, most definitely protagonists. So it is tradition of identity unlocked that we start with the, the guests sharing their trajectory because like usually people stumble into identity. Identity is not often destiny, but it's just happenstance. So we're really interested in knowing how you ended up working in identity with particular attention to your involvement in SAML. And given that there are so many of you, we'll need to try to go with a condensed version. So Pratik, can we start with you? How did you end up working in identity and in SAML all the way to your current position today? Sure. Yeah, it uh, goes back a little little ways. Uh, 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 SAML, as you know, originates in the O's uh, in the 2000s. Uh, and at that time, I was working for a company that had done a lot of good work in single sign-on, which was a new idea then, still is <laughs> to some people, uh, the idea that you could, you could log in and, and use the same credentials against lots of services at, at a company or a website. And they had this problem that uh, once you logged in to a, a certain company or a website, then they wanted to transfer that information by some means to another website or to another company. And there was a lot of ferment at that time. And, and that's basically how I got into identity and then got into SAML. I haven't worked in identity for a long time now, but I still, I still do work in security and I enjoy uh, staying in touch with uh, SAML alumni and and keeping an eye on the OIDC specs as well. Very nice. Thank you. Ultra fast. Paul, 
Do you want to go next? Sure. Um, well, I did indeed stumble into identity. I actually stumbled into SAML because I, I had been working at a, another company and had some experience with SGML, Standard Generalized Markup Language, the, um, the ancestor of XML, um, the, a, a markup language that SAML used. So I had no expertise or experience in security or identity but I had experience in XML. <laughs> so uh, I was hired by a, an enterprise identity management company to represent them uh, on SAML. Can we name the company um, or yeah, do we need it? To... Uh, sure, it was, it was in trust. Um, so historically a PKI company that was trying to evolve into that, that single sign-on space that Pratik just described. And they, they saw SAML coming and they, I guess they identified a need for XML expertise. So they, so I became the, the XML guy and, and by proxy, the SAML guy, you know, I started participating in the, in the security services TC that was defining SAML with, <laughs> with an absolute lack of insight or expertise on how the web worked and, and what SAML was building. So it was it was a fun fun initial period. Fantastic. And from there to today, what happened? Where, like where where are you today? And uh, what else did you do? I stayed in that federated world and monitored and contributed to the to some extent the evolution of SAML, OIDC, and OAuth, the the next phase of that federated model. And then I I left that world to join the block space world or the blockchain world, thinking I was done with identity and not too displeased with that. But then the blockchain world of DLTs uh, rediscovered identity. So I've, I'm back. Very exciting. Thank you. You know, I'm biting my tongue because uh, blockchain. I know. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Johnny, how did you end up here? Uh, definitely stumbled into um, identity. I really started in the, uh, I knew I wanted to work in the standard space. So I don't know that if that's unique or not, but I thought standards was something very interesting because it wasn't a single company or a single um, concept. It was really bringing different organizations and people together around a, a common idea. So I started with IEEE um, Engineering Society and I started uh, with an ISTO, a, a sub-organization, and I was working on uh, supporting standards that were developing. Um, and one of them was XML related, so voice XML, for example. And so I was supporting a, a number of uh, standards that were developing. And through that through that work of supporting multiple different organizations, um, one organization in particular, the Liberty Alliance, was working on identity standards, industry standards for identity. And to me, of all, this, all the work that was happening in the tech space, I felt that the identity work had a very impactful human quality and I just felt this was going to be something that was around for a long time and would make a big difference um, hopefully in our lives for the better so uh, so that's how I got involved and and I think that's also why I've, I've stayed in the space for about 20 years now oh wow 20 years amazing 
And what do you do now? And now uh, I really learned about identity through supporting the uh, software engineers. So thanks for allowing, letting me be in this group because I'm definitely not the developer, uh, but I help the developers to do what they need to do, I hope. Um, but moving on from that space, from Liberty Alliance, moved over to an organization, Kantara Initiative, um, where I ran that organization for about five years, focused on identity assurance. And then from there, moved over to um, the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada, where we really get to focus on the Canadian ecosystem. And so my identity journey has gone from the um, technical implementation world to then understanding and applying those technical implementations across different risk scenarios and uh, measuring compliance and trust um, across those different risk profiles and scenarios for standards uh, out in the wild. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your trajectory as well. And uh, I have to say that uh, I'm so happy that uh, you guys agreed to do this because like this uh, plurality of uh, experiences uh, like will definitely uh, give uh, a very multifaceted uh, holistic view of the thing that uh, we are going to examine which once again is uh, SAML so let's dig into it and I would like to start with Pratik and start from the very beginning even before the beginning like what was the problem that SAML ended up uh, being created for solving and uh, why wasn't uh, whatever was available back in the day not up to the task and something new had to be created yep good question vittorio it really sort of goes to the heart heart of the matter and and uh, even still very important today right so now we're going back to the o's right 2000 2001 uh, so that's web one. <laughs> uh, amazing, right? Uh, so there's all this amazing e-commerce going on and tiny startups called Amazon, you know, doing cool things. And, and all the companies have, have websites, transactional, so on. So the first concept that comes around is single sign-on. And there are several companies. I, I work for a company called Netegrity, which was actually an, an early pioneer in this space, uh, Integrity, Oblix, and Trust, uh, as Paul mentioned. And all of these companies are, are selling to enterprises and selling them single sign-on software, right? So once, once you log into, uh, you know, Company X, then you can use all of their services based on a single login. And, and this is an innovation. And, and to some extent, it still is today. But the challenge then was how do you extend that login to, to other sites, to suppliers, right? to uh, other vendors, right? Because if, if a once you've logged into a company and now you want to use a service which is offered by a third party, you would like to not be forced to log in again. And I remember sitting down with some of the managers at Netegrity and, uh, you know, people had all these schemes. Well, you can give the partner a little piece of proprietary code so they can perhaps read some cookie we deposit in some complicated way. Uh, and you know, it all seemed very fragile and difficult to manage. And, you know, some of us were sitting around and, and talking this through. And, and, you know, this idea came that, you know, really the act of sign, single sign-on should be some kind of a formal object. There should be a representation for it, right? We already had PKI at that time. That was a representation of identity uh, bound to a name, right? Just in the way we understand PKI. So we, we, we sat around and thought, you know, once you log in, that's a kind of formal act. There should be a kind of object that captures that. 
uh, in a machine-readable way, and then you can convey that to wherever you want to go. And so this idea was then propagated at that time and discussed in the community. And now, now I want to be a little polemical and give some thanks and knock some heads too, you know, credits and demerits. So who are the people who supported this, right? Uh, and they were people like Shibboleth and, and Internet2, which is a, a public sector, publicly funded organization that understood the value of this early uh, other early supporters were companies like like Sun, our colleague Eve Mailer, who is, you know, a luminary and well-known person, still an identity. And I want to mention two names from Internet 2. Uh, R.L. Bob Morgan, who is now sadly deceased from the University of Washington, and Scott Cantor of the Ohio State University. And these guys put together the first toolkits, the first concepts, right? Because, you know, the smaller companies that are trying to innovate need this sort of ecosystem where these ideas can be tried out. And I'm not going to name any names, but some of the largest companies at that time in the O's were very unhappy about this, this effort. And, and if you contact me privately, I, I will tell you all about what happened. But anyway, through the efforts of the community, this idea of an object that captures the meaning of an authentication in a formal way, which is the SAML assertion, and then the conveyance of that assertion from one party to another through a well-defined protocol, typically through a browser, as, as another set of protocol exchanges. And all of this goes on 2002, 2003, and the development of SAML 1.0 and 1.1, and then it begins to get a certain buzz and a certain amount of mainstream acceptance. Uh, so that's that's a canned history of the early days of SAML, with credits to to some folks, which you know is I think not always uh, so well understood or appreciated. Thank you, thank you for that perspective. That was uh, really great. And uh, by the way. Just so we know, we are going to talk before the end of the episode about WS Federation. So some names will, uh, I think that more names will float out, but great. So thank you for describing the problem and hinting at some of the moving parts. Paul, I would love to double click on that. And uh, for example, like uh, looking at the how, like we understood the problem is uh, cross-domain single sign-on. We heard about uh, the fact that there is an assertion which formally represents successful uh, occurrence of uh, an authentication operation. But can you expand a bit on this? As in, like, what are the moving parts? Uh, how did the protocol work? What roles were, uh, were in there? Sure. Uh, I, I guess I'll say first that by Pratik saying Web 1, he's completely dated himself. Uh, secondly, I hardly endorse his endorsement of R.L. Bob and Scott. Uh, you know, they, they led the way in the early days. You know, as, as the name suggests, security assertion markup language. This, this is what got me my job. It, it's a markup language by which assertions are made by one entity about some other. And as, as Pratik described, oftentimes that's in support of a single sign-on uh, experience where the assertion is logically the first website saying, hey, I just logged this guy in and I did it at Tuesday at 343. 
And here you go. Here's a nice little packet of information that you can use to make your own decision about logging him in. But, you know, that's a very abstract concept. And as Pratik hinted at, you also need to define how you're going to convey that assertion across the web. And single sign-on is one use case that typically manifest as conveyance of that assertion kind of through browser redirects, right? And maybe some back channel exchanges. But the proposition is that one website is sending this assertion digitally signed so trust can be established to some other website. There are other so-called bindings of that somewhat abstract protocol. Liberty spent time defining how to communicate or convey assertions over API calls, uh, web calls, uh, the world of WS Star and WS Trust and so forth. So there were assertions, there were bindings of that somewhat abstract protocol to particular uh, protocols, HTTP and comparable. And then also important were profiles. You know, you, you want to, you want to leverage this somewhat generic ab abstract concept of assertions to achieve something particular and single sign-on was was the most notable profile i'll say that i found that logical structure that saml defined of bindings and profiles very intuitive and i <laughs> i haven't seen it since i've, I've participated in other standards bodies since i still Oftentimes, reading a, a protocol spec, I'll say, okay, well, you know, where, where are you going to define your bindings to whatever protocol you're using? Um, and I'll just say, I, I have to plug the, the SSI world of DLTs. We are just a new binding, in some sense, for uh, assertions, like any other identity protocol. So let's, uh, uh, let's dig a bit more in there. Like, uh... Tell me about the relationship between things like uh, service providers, identity providers, relying parties. Like uh, you, you mentioned that website one and website two, but uh, is there anything more we can say about the formal roles that these various websites can play? Like every standard, SAML redefined terminology and, and said that the first website was an identity provider and the second website that was going to consume these assertions and, and essentially rely on the, the authentication performed by the first was the service provider. Uh, <laughs> other protocols have called those issuers and verifiers, but logically it's all the same, right? Every, every, one entity verifies some identity facet about a subject a user on a website and then communicates, asserts, makes claims, those identity aspects to somebody else. That makes complete sense. And someone was uh, like, had a lot of firsts, like, uh, for example, I think it was someone that introduced the idea of uh, metadata describing uh, identity providers, right? Um, so I, I won't... I won't claim that SAML was the first. I, my memory, my sense was that we realized there was a need to describe the quality of an authentication 
the the as you say the metadata around how authentication was performed was it just password was it something stronger how was the identity issued in the first place you know what were the identity proofs and, and that was the motivation for uh, authentication context which you know as the name suggests was additional information beyond the mere fact of authentication to the uh, the service provider or the relying party the the information that they might need to make a better informed decision about well i know he's logged in but is he logged in sufficiently for what i want to do with him yeah and those were like the famous uh, claims that uh, we hear talking about so often like uh, i think that one of the things that i really liked back in the day was that uh, you could package the information that the uh, service provider needed to know, and you could just send them in this uh, nice verifiable uh, format. And then you didn't have to call back home. That's potentially all you needed was there. And so uh, it was a very nicely distributed model as opposed to some of the models uh, right before, like uh, if you remember Corba, in which uh, you had uh, permanent addresses and you needed to pierce firewalls, Instead, in here, you guys managed to invent something that didn't have to pierce any firewall, right? Well, again, but there were, yeah. you know, there were different bindings, right? Some of which pushed everything over the front channel and some of which relied on, a, on a, a, essentially an API call back to the identity provider to retrieve the, uh, to the assertion itself, the so-called artifact binding. So you are now in the central end, so you probably don't have to deal with some much, but as far as I can see, it looks like that the main profile and bindings that survived and thrived to this day are mostly the front channel ones in which people use these for doing web single sign-on and the APIs instead are handled by something else. Do you have a different experience? No, I think that's fair. I, I, I expect that SAML manifests most often these days in employees single sign-on into SaaS. So it's manifesting in the front channel. Um, you know, the, the proposition is some employee signs into their corporate account and then is able to be presented with a, a you know, a, a grid of SaaS applications that are appropriate and relevant to their role. And that, that might manifest in the, in the mobile as well, but, you know, fundamentally it's the same use case. Yeah, it's definitely the same use case. And tied to this, I'm wondering if we can uh, do another step back and uh, uh, make some clarity about who made SAML. There are like so many different words that uh, are floated around, like uh, Liberty Alliance, uh, OSIS, uh, like there are many different entities and actors, and it's not always clear what, uh, um, who did what when. So I'm wondering, Johnny, if you could uh, step in and uh, bring some clarity to those matters. Sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Thanks, Vittorio. I mean, it's a great uh, question, and especially 
for something that's been around for for quite some time maybe some of it um you know can be taken for granted a bit i think pratik mentioned early on um oasis uh, the oasis um, standards uh, organization saml got its start in the security services technical committee the sstc really it's got its first start back in the early uh aughts so 2001 is when that work uh began the sstc in the oasis organization I think it was just about uh, within a year later, really the first versions of, of SAML were published, building on and, and bringing in influences from uh, S2ML, uh, AuthXML. Um, so, so, so building on the sh- you know, shoulders of giants, of course. So yeah, so about a year of work into, uh, with Oasis uh, for SSTC for, for SAML um, 1.0. You know, I think these types of standards, they, they don't exist in vacuums. And so we have multiple organizations kind of building on ideas and, and working with those ideas and extending them. And so while this work was happening um, within OASIS, um, another organization, uh, the Liberty Alliance, which was a uh, non-for-profit, um, non-profit consortium of different um, companies and different uh, government organizations and universities, this organization started and really worked to propose make proposals on how to to extend and how to build on um, to the SAML specification, and so you have you have the the core work happening within Oasis, and then you have um, the Liberty Alliance. Uh, well, if the core work of Oasis really was around kind of enabling that um, SSO um, service provider relying party uh, relationship, um, the, some of the work that Liberty Alliance started to do was to extend that out and to look at um, how SAML was deployed um, in a in a context of a federal Federation, federation framework, and this really brought us to um, what Liberty published, which was the the IDFF, and this is the um, Identity Federation Framework. So we can kind of uh, think about this is kind of early looking at this this network ecosystem, and we're, and we're still in this network ecosystem today. And definitely, as we as we look at the um, the DLT space and the blockchain space, networks are are at the forefront in terms of information sharing. So so the core technical work of Oasis, and then that extended work of Liberty to put the SAML work in an extended ecosystem that started to define um, things like a, a circle of trust, how multiple organizations could could multiply that SSO, the power of that SSO and how that SSO could happen in a cross-domain, cross-industry um, ecosystem is uh, really kind of work that Liberty Alliance kind of brought into that ecosystem to extend and expand the, the work that happened at um, Oasis um, to begin with. Great. So, Johnny, almost 20 years have passed. So I think it's a uh, um, fair game for me to say that uh, the rumor back in the day was that the Liberty Alliance was uh, founded because people were concerned about the growing uh, uh, influence of uh, Microsoft in this space. Would you say that was the case uh, or any comment that you feel you would uh, you'd want to say? Again, we are talking about 20 years <laughs> ago, so it's a completely different word. And so I'm sure that the current Microsoft is not the same Microsoft back in the day. So hopefully whatever we say in here will not uh, uh, rub anyone 
wrongly. We are talking about ancient history. What a fun question, Vittorio. Thank you. Thank you for this one. Um, so I would say that it's fair to say that, um, at least in my own perception, um, part of the part of the value of working as a consortium um, to develop a standard is is to ensure that there is as much as possible a level playing field that more than one organization can participate in that ecosystem and that we can measure their participation by the same um, ruler, by the same stick in terms of um, what they're providing. So you can imagine that um, on a topic as human interactive and, and connected as as identity, there is even more of a concern around a singular organization being the, I'll make some some air quotes, being the owner um, of that particular capability. And so I think it's it's fair to say that uh, within the identity standard space and, and within Liberty Alliance and with others, there's always been a push to try to ensure that there is a level playing field and, and not a single organization who is really the, um, who is owning and monopolizing, not to say that anyone was, but was monopol but you know that that risk is mitigated through the work of standards. Now that said in the standard space, everyone comes to the table with an agenda, purposefully so. So so everyone has their every organization has their um their piece and, and their competitive edge they want to bring into that table, but definitely an identity at because of that human interaction, um, I think that it was it's palpable and fair to say that there was a desire to make sure that there wasn't a singular manipulative force the context that Joni didn't mention is that Microsoft had uh, its passport solution, right? Which, which was a single sign-on solution. But, you know, as, as Joni hinted at, uh, a single provider, the proposition from Microsoft's point of view is that everybody would uh, necessarily be directed back to Microsoft for login. You know, same experience as that which SAML was uh, trying to enable, but but more centralized. I, I think the and the interesting part of the story is that uh, if you stay around long enough, the, um, the 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 heroes and the villains, if you will, um, switch their roles eventually, right? And so uh, you know where there were concerns around uh, passport and a singular solution um, domination, um, as we saw rise in OpenID uh, Connect. I think there was also concern around the consortia of organizations that were moving identity forward in Liberty Alliance, and so round and round we go. And, and uh, we continue to, uh, you know, build on the advancements of the of the group that came uh, before us. Joni, I contend that Liberty was doing what we were doing solely for the benefit of mankind. There were no financial. <laughs> Great. And before we move away from the topic, I just want to take the opportunity to position WS Federation, given that uh, just like some although, well, not at the same magnitude, but uh, it's a protocol, but it's still around. So... Uh, can you guys uh, frame these uh, in the context of this history for me? My my sense, at least, was you know, I, WS Federation was important because Microsoft thought it was important, but my sense, at least, was no one else did. Right? If you were a Microsoft shop, your your default was to use that which was free and easily provided through the Microsoft stack, and that was WS Fed. Um, but you know, if you needed to engage with any other partner uh, who wasn't a Microsoft shop, then you were motivated to either replace WS Fed with SAML or support SAML as well. And to the benefit of our audience, WS Federation was a web single sign-on, was, is 
a web single sign-on protocol that uh, um, was the default for a few years on Microsoft products. And to be fair, uh, now it's many years that the Microsoft supports SAML across the board. So again, I uh, just wanted to uh, double down and stress on the fact that uh, we are talking about ancient history and that uh, the situation today is uh, dramatically different from what it was uh, back in the day. And I think Vittorio, just quickly, it you know it highlights there's <laughs> there's been a number of different protocols by which you achieve this basic functionality. Uh, SAML, WSFed, OIDC, um, you know they they're all trying to do the same thing with different schemas and different assumptions about uh, back channel, front channel. Um, we we keep reinventing things. That's okay. Um, the, the, the latest generation argues there's value in a in a blockchain or a DLT underlying some of that, but it, it's all, we're all doing the same thing. Given my unfair position as the host, I choose not to comment on your last statement about who are actually the heirs of this. And actually, uh, I would uh, go to today and say that we described what happened in the past, and uh, we got a good uh, uh, framing of uh, how SAML came to be. We know that today it's still in use because uh, it had this incredible success in uh, business, in government, in the various verticals. So it's definitely still in use. However, who owns the specification today? And is there any new work happening on this? Johnny, I'm looking at you for this. Yeah, I think um, I think it's fair to say, well, at least my understanding, um, SAML is um, you know has has had its last um, update around. I think its last version was published in two thousand three. Um, no, let me correct myself. Um, two thousand five. So we're going back a number of years here. We're going back to um, Oasis. Uh, so I would have to say, if there was a kind of a historical owner at this point, it would be within the Oasis ecosystem. Um, but that said, you know, I think that it's also fair to say that SAML had a had and has a life of its own in terms. In terms of um, different implementation profiles, uh, the SAML2 int profile in the uh, academic space is a SAML profile. Different different governments have different SAML profiles, and SAML still exists in use um, in terms in implementation profiles um, at the enterprise level. So it does have a little bit of that distributed kind of um, ongoing life ongoing property to it. But that said, if you are looking for kind of um, which committee, which listserv should you be going to to get that? Um, single logout or that particular uh, the functionality that you're looking for, um, you, I don't think you're likely to see that. You're not likely to see too much more massive innovation in that space. It's, it's been pretty stable for a while and, and does live on in those enterprise scenarios and some academic spaces and um, universities and, and the like. Neither has the American railway gauge changed in 200 years, right? It, it, it was normalized. It does its job. People use it. It is fair, Paul, to uh, to say that if it works, uh, then why messing with it? But uh, here I have to say that uh, although I agree with you that uh, many other protocols uh, that uh, we work with uh, strive to do the same, they aren't quite exactly the same. Because, for example, with uh, some of the main thing is now web sign-on mostly, but with OpenID you can have the same 
application representation with the same client. And with that client, uh, you can do single sign-on with the browser, but you can also call APIs, for example, or you can use uh, variants of that protocol to also do mobile apps. And so I'd say that uh, when Craig, Craig Barton 10 years ago said that Samuel is uh, dead, of course, he was being provocative, but he was onto something. I'll give you a, a, another example, which is very close to my heart. The browser folks, the various Chrome, Safari, and others, today are introducing changes in their behavior to prevent uh, uh, unsanctioned tracking. So to prevent uh, advertisers to track you through your uh, life online. And uh, in order to do so, they are killing a number of uh, building blocks that we are taking for granted. Like the third-party cookies are almost completely gone. Um, and uh, in short, they might go after the redirects, which are one of the basics of many of the protocols that we have out there. So we might end up having to update some of those protocols. We might need to change OpenID Connect to maybe call some extra APIs so that the browsers let us do our identity job. Uh, and I suspect, and I look at you guys as experts, but I suspect that uh, if this happens and SAML stops working because uh, the browser starts behaving in a different way, I think it will be easier for people to move to OpenID Connect that still is active. Like uh, every other day I am in calls about OpenID Connect that, and that will adapt to those changes if the browser will impose it to us rather than tracking down the current uh, owners of SAML and ask them to inject some uh, modern JavaScript to do this. So what do you guys think? No question there, jumping in. I also want to comment briefly on, on some of the challenges with SAML, right, which are, which are also well-known, right? So one of the challenges was, of course, the use of XML digital signature and XML canonicalization, right, which was an older technology, right, a, a very complex technology. And, of course, you know, as, as a working engineer, that's a very, it, it turned out to be not as interoperable as, as one would like. And, and one of the strengths of OIDC is by using a simpler representation, right, jots and JSON objects, and, in fact, building out a whole family of uh, simpler uh, signature specs, right? Interoperability has been, 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 been a lot stronger. So in that sense, there is, there's almost a generational, right, move. And, you know, that's an interesting aspect of SAML. You know, XML gave it, gave it some bedrock foundations, but, but the, the, the signature challenges of interoperability of XML signature was always a challenge. And, and so, so we see the move forward with OIDC, with JSON. Jot and uh, adjacent signature models, uh, so that's that's another another piece piece of the puzzle there. Yeah, it's also on OIDC, Vittorio. As you know, that the SSI community is trying to reconcile their world with the federated world, right? So, yeah, no one would argue that SAML is the appropriate place to build Web three or Web two and a half, whatever, whichever web you want to build. SAML, SAML served its purpose, it's functional, but it's, it's not where we're going to build the next. Wonderful. Thank you. I, uh, I love to agree with uh, almost everything you just said. And Johnny, I'd say that we are making these uh, our 
parting uh, words, given that you guys have been so nice and available, but uh, we are running short of time. So what do you think? What's your comment about uh, the future of uh, Samuel and the industry? Um, I, I really like what Paul said. I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, of, you know, once you have a tool and you know what that tool does and you use that tool, I, I, you know, working in the standards world for, for quite a while now, I rarely have I seen a standard actually completely deprecated and go away. And once it's proven some utility, it tends to stay in that space and hang on until there's a really good reason for it not to. Um, so SAML certainly uh, was innovative at the time, um, solved problems, drove innovation, was foundational for innovation around uh, federation and the world of where networks are going. I think that um, inspired and informed the next layers around OpenID um, Connect and where OpenID Connect has gone. And I certainly think Think that that in turn has inspired verifiable credentials and um, SSI. So I, I think that the idea that we will have a singular standard and a singular solution and a singular approach is just not consistent with the way of the world. So I think we'll, we'll see SAML around as it is for a while, and we'll see how the you know the web web 2.5, web 3, and that space evolves, and how we'll will uh, the whole new set of uh, issues that we'll have with the incoming uh, family of standards in the identity space is evolving. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I, I want to thank all three of you. Uh, despite it being uh, so many, I think that we managed to somehow maintain some order and uh, follow a nice narrative backbone. So thank you so much for your availability and for your insights. Maybe a couple of years from now, we'll do this again and we can gauge where, uh, where Samuel is. <laughs> Thanks for cat hurting us. I don't want to be talking about this in a couple of years. Thank you, Vittorio. <laughs> great, great, great session, Vittorio. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci, and this is Identity Unlocked. Music for this podcast is composed and performed by Marcelo Wolowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by Of Zero in partnership with the OpenID Foundation and ID Pro.